Welcome to the Pinkleton Pull Aside podcast. On this podcast, let's step aside from our busy lives to have fun, fascinating, life-giving conversation with inspiring authors, pastors, sports personalities, and other influencers, leaders, and followers. Sit back, grab some coffee, or head down the road, and let's get the good and gold from today's guest. Here's Jeff Pinkleton, Executive Director of the Gathering of the Miami Valley, where their mission is to connect men to men and men to God. Hello, friends. Welcome again today to another episode of the Pinkleton Pull Aside podcast, where we like to talk about all things life, leadership, lessons therein, and we like to do it in a world of business, comedy, sports, books, pastors, great testimonies abound. And uh, today, I'm blessed to have face-to-face through a screen and voice contact with a guy I had the pleasure of meeting almost 10 years ago, Mark Whitaker. Mark has a unique background that most people really know what I know has, which is uh, Matt Damon portrayed him in a movie. So he's he's probably even better looking than Matt Damon. Matt Damon wishes he was him, but he was, he was uh, portrayed in a movie called The Informant that Maybe it didn't turn out too equal to what the story was. I guess we'll call it that, right, Mark? But Mark Whitaker. Well, I would say it didn't show the faith journey. I'd say it did not. Yeah. And it had more of a comedic flair to it than maybe what reality was, correct? That's correct. Yeah. So Mark came back in, uh, like I said, I think it was the spring of 2013 to my day job, the gathering of the Miami Valley, and shared his story, shared the gospel with folks. Uh, in a room back when we met at a place uh, at a hotel and had a couple hundred people there. Now our events get about 400 people and we pack them out. But I know Mark left uh, deposits. One of the things I like to remind people that Mark did back in the day that we have not taken advantage of as much with other people, but Mark would be in an airport waiting for a flight and he would pick up the phone and call people who were at that breakfast that he thought he could encourage and, and follow up and their phone would ring and they'd recognize some crazy number and They'd answer, and it was Mark, and he would just touch base on a one-on-one basis, and people would blow up my phone and say, Jeff, you'll never believe who called me. Mark Whitaker called me and asked me how I'm doing and checking in on me, and I'm like kind of laughing on the inside, like, well, I I knew he'd be calling you, but Mark, I I love that. But like when you hear me say that, what does that do for your heart that you're that intentional to leave an extra deposit with people? Is that That's probably still true about you today, isn't it? I just spoke at a prayer breakfast here a couple of weeks ago. Spoke at a couple of them, one in Austin, uh, Austin, Texas, and one in Norfolk, Nebraska, which is not too far from Omaha. So I've done a few. And yeah, I've talked to a few, quite a few of them already that I had contact information after I attended. And it's just, you know, we go where God leads. We let God lead each day. And and uh, I tell you, to me, it's all about relationship. And even more so in my 60s, mm-hmm. I feel this sense of urgency. There's a lot of Mark Whitakers out there that are in the business world. They don't know, uh, they don't know God, and you know who I was 25 years ago. A lot of them out there, uh, and I tell you, I love reaching uh, the lost and the unconvinced. And I and I feel more of a sense of urgency in my 60s. Even the company that I work for, even more of a sense of urgency today than than 25 years ago. You know, I don't think I've heard you or anybody use that word. I like how you said the lost and the unconvinced. That's an interesting word there because I'm a big believer that Jesus for who he is, for who we know him, love him to be son of God, son of man, 100% grace, 100% truth. I just have trouble believing that people really reject him. I think they may reject 
misconceived ideas of who he is or a tainted view that someone or the church or somebody put in the way of people. But Jesus as he is, I don't know how you reject him. What do you think about that? Yeah, I feel the same way. And, you know, I'm a Ph.D. scientist, a Ph.D. biochemist from Cornell. And I had professors that uh, both at Ohio State and Cornell, you know, going through eight years through that science journey to become a scientist uh, from high school. And I had professors say, if you believe in Jesus, you can't be in my class. You believe in God. You can't be a Ph.D. scientist. And I heard that multiple times to the point when I got out of finished my Ph.D. that I remember telling all my friends, well, my parents are Christians only because they never went to college. Uh, if you went to college, you definitely know better. Hmm. And that's where I was in my in my 20s. And I became a Christian at, at 40. And boy, how life changing that was. But I did have to I did have to rid of all that education that told me otherwise, because I heard Darwinism and Big Bang Theory and evolution and and Chuck Colson, who led me to Christ. Uh, I don't know if your viewers know Chuck Colson, but he was White House counsel under President Nixon went to prison in the Watergate scandal back in the 70s, became a Christian through that journey. He was in his 30s, had an office right next to the Oval Office, and he was uh, very much an intellectual and had a similar block as I had in his earlier youth. You know, the education, secular education that telling you there is no God. And, and he helped me break that science block that shared with me some of the best scientists in the world that believe in God, and it just never was shared at the university. They hid, they hid that from us during our education. So get into the heart of that. So yeah, you talked about 25 years ago when you were in your 20s and all that kind of stuff. So you've got a pretty unique story. Some people come on here and say, well, you know, I just kind of believed in Jesus at a young age, grew up in the church, and nothing really crazy around. I've just been true to the Lord, and I love those testimonies. Yours is definitely more on the radical side. So let's get into what's radical about your story, Mark. Yeah, you know, when I, as I mentioned, I finished uh, an Ivy League education when I was 25 years old, PhD in biochemistry from Cornell in New York, and uh, went to bachelor's and master's at Ohio State University. I heard multiple times that God does not exist, especially from scientists, and I learned Darwinism and Big Bang Theory, and 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 in Ivy League schools, what I heard often during, uh, this would have been 1983 when I graduated, what I heard often was that well, we're going to make millions of dollars with this education. It was really an education to get to get to be a leader in an in, in an organization. And all I could think about is being CEO of a Fortune 500 company. And I felt that way in my early 20s when I'm at Cornell. I started Cornell when I was at 22. By the time I was 25, I graduated. By the time I was 27, I was vice president. By the time I was 32, I was divisional vice president of the 56th largest company in America, another a company known as ADM, Archer Daniels Midland, 30,000 employees, 70 billion in annual revenue. Just think about number 56 on the Fortune 500. I think they're even larger than that today. This would have been 1989. So this is 33 years ago uh, when I was 32. I'm 65 now. And I can remember when I was at ADM, I was number four executive out of 30,000 employees, reported to the COO. So there were three executives above me out of 30,000 employees, had my own jet, the seven top executives, each had their own jet, a Falcon 50. Um, I bought the CEO's home out of 13,000 square foot home with an eight car garage. He was 75 years old, wanted to move to something smaller. And so I bought his home and, and, and I probably the best way to describe, I mean, it was a mansion, 13,000 square foot, eight car garage. I had the garage filled with eight cars, Ferrari, two BMWs, 
to Mercedes. From the world perspective, people would say, I had everything. Beautiful wife, three children, lived in a mansion behind gates. Two previous CEOs worked that lived there. John Daniels, the founder of Archer Daniels Midland, 115 years earlier, lived there. Dwayne Andreas lived there for about 30 years, the CEO that I worked for during that time in 1989. I was with ADM about eight years. And probably the best way to describe it during those eight years, starting at age 32, I was Justin Bieber before Justin Bieber. I mean, had it all, a jet, a mansion, eight-car garage. I mean, it was seven, with bonuses and stock options, it was seven figures every year for eight years in a row. Back in 89, when seven figures really meant something, back then, you know, two or three million a year in bonuses would be like 10 million today. And I got addicted to that lifestyle. I mean, I got addicted to that, obsessed with it. Uh, I, I mean, I really thought, boy, if there's a heaven, this is it. I was, I was really almost an addict to that kind of lifestyle. And then talk about, you know, where things kind of went astray. Yeah, well, basically, my wife became a Christian before me. She became a Christian age 30, 10 years before me. So in my early 30s, when the company started trusting me and saw me part of the family after a couple of years there, so I'd be 34 now. The CEO was now 77. The COO was then 71, and I was 34. I'm a couple of years there, and they start bringing me into mentoring me uh, on a price-fixing scheme, an international cartel fixing the prices of food additives that your listeners would be buying in, in a grocery store when they buy a Kellogg's cereal or Pillsbury or Kraft or an iced tea or a, or a beverage. It'd be difficult to buy a food or beverage in a grocery store that does not have something from ADM in it, Archer Daniels Smith, one of the largest food additive companies in the world. And there was an international cartel and they were mentoring me to eventually take that over because they're in their 70s. One of them heading towards 80, three years from 80. And here I was 34. So they're pouring into me to eventually take over this international cartel. And I share it with my wife about seven months later when she saw some things have changed about me and something was different. And I met my wife and she was ginger when she was in seventh grade and I was in eighth grade. We went to all our high school proms together, all four of them, and, and had been married uh, since our early 20s. And I started sharing with her about how I was being mentored. And she was really appalled by it. She just couldn't believe it. She said, Mark, that's a, that's a fraud. And she said, is that legal? And I said, well, it's not legal, but they tell me everybody does it. And you can't be in the commodity business without doing this. And she said, oh, I don't know, Mark. She said, who pays for this, basically, this extra income that ADM's earning? I said, well, ADM makes hundreds of millions of dollars, sometimes a billion dollars a year extra from this price fixing scheme. And I said, basically, consumers pay for it because the profit margins are built in like a grocery, uh, Pillsbury or Kellogg cereal. And so when they pay higher for the ingredients, the consumer pays higher. It's that simple. So the consumers pay that extra billion dollars a year. And I remember her saying, she said, my grandma on $200 a week, Social Security is paying for this. And we live in a mansion with an eight car garage and, and with a corporate jet. She said, I don't know if I can live with this, Mark. And she said she was going to go back in her study and pray about it. We talk about it later. Well, she went back and prayed about it for a couple hours. And she came back and she said, Mark, God led her to, led her to a decision. She said, I'm involved in something for seven months. It's been going on for 12 years. That's been going on for 10 years before I even joined the company. She said, we're going to blow the whistle on this. We're going to expose this fraud. We're going to do it today. And we're going to be meeting with the FBI today. 
So the largest price fixing case in U.S. history, uh, the equipment I wore undercover is in the, in the FBI Museum in D.C., would have never happened without my wife, a stay-at-home mom, raising three young children at the time. Now, so talk more about it, because I remember a key part of your story is a night when you were, I think you were outside and it was raining and you really kind of had to come to grips with some things and kind of where this whole thing was going. So kind of unpack the more of that story. Yeah, well, basically I had a choice when when uh, when she forced me to share with the FBI that day. We talked for a couple hours where me trying to talk her out of it. I said, Ginger, I can go to prison. Price fixing is illegal. I said, our CEO is a billionaire. CEO of the 56th largest company in America, they will destroy us. I said, I'm more worried about that than going to prison. This is a this is a CEO that's best friends with President Clinton, that flew on President Clinton's plane to President Nixon's funeral, on the phone on a regular basis with President Clinton, and I said, they will destroy us. And she said, you know what, Mark? My CEO is bigger than your CEO. My CEO is Jesus, and he's going to protect us, and we're going to do it today. And she said she'd rather be homeless then live in a house where illegal activity is occurring. So I had a choice to either be arrested or wear a wire to go after the kingpins that were training me and teaching me how to do this. And I tell you, wearing a wire every day for 10 hours a day for three years, I lost 60 pounds. People at work thought I had cancer. There's actually a documentary on my website, markwhitaker.com by Discovery Channel, on Discovery Channel, that the FBI did to combat the movie because they saw it as, it's a real serious case. They felt the movie lost the seriousness of the case. So the three agents, and they had my wife and I a part of it, did a documentary after the movie because they wanted a legacy on this case. And in this documentary, they share that they'd say, Mark, if these guys catch you, they're going to kill you. If they catch you wearing a wire, they're going to kill you. This is serious stuff. And you hear that every day for three years, it takes a toll. I'd be blowing the driveway off, as you mentioned, Jeff, at three in the morning with a gas leaf blower during thunderstorms. I mean, I was falling apart during that time, a nervous breakdown. Now, I know your wife is a great woman, and I, I've always loved the kind of Mark and Ginger together mindset that, that it's it's almost like you're never separated. What what the difficult times during that season for her look like? Because clearly she's steadfast, and she didn't pray about that and then come back out that night and say, all right, Mark, we're going to do something about this in two weeks. It was that day. She was moving. So yeah. at some point for Ginger, there had to be periods of times where she's like, what, what is she even into now, and how is she handling the stressful times, or was she just that much of a stalwart the whole time that she just kept pressing in? No, she was concerned. She didn't realize when we turned, when we turned myself in that I'd have to wear a wire. She thought the FBI would tap phones. and do. She didn't realize that I would have to be the ev evidence gatherer at that point. She had no idea or no inkling that I was going to have to become an informant and wear a wire for 10 hours a day for three years. She really thought they tap phones, follow people and do the kind of things that the FBI does. But I had to gather all the evidence. So she was very concerned. Uh, she had people in her life, uh, her church and her women's group and her sister, her sister was kind of her Chuck Olson, so to speak, that poured into her and really that where she held strong and prayed that were her prayer warriors uh, during that uh, very difficult time. So she had her people, she, she was surrounded uh, with the right people, with the right prayer warriors. So, you know, we I, I like to talk about how we want to create thin spaces between us and God, so there's really nothing between us. Man, for three years, I, every time you talk about that, it just floors me. Three years, 10 hours a day. Boy, if that, if that ain't going to create some real honest, authentic conversation with you and God, I don't know what is. 
Yeah, and I didn't have God in my life during that time. I still had that science block. And I think that, I mean, that's why I was falling apart. I didn't have God. I was not allowed to tell anybody that I was wearing a wire. Not even my parents knew till the case went public. So no one knew. And I was fall, I was falling apart. I, I wish I would have had God uh, back then. Because it was part of the it was part of the nervous breakdown that I was having during that time to the point where I even attempted suicide. I mean, I was falling apart. I forgot that you said you did try to attempt suicide. Oh, absolutely, absolutely, I did. I I, I wanted to die for sure. I did, but at the end of it, I got a six month plea agreement, six months, a Martha Stewart sentence for all the help and all the assistance that I did, and and the others were going to go to prison for several years and. And about 30 went to prison, four just for ADM alone, but then price fixing involves other companies too. So this was a huge cartel, international cartel. And I was going to go for six months and Ginger begged me to sign that six month plea agreement. And I looked at Ginger, I said, Ginger, you're the reason why I'm in this mess in the first place. I had to wear a wire for three years for 10 hours a day because of you. I'm going to do the opposite that she asked me to do. And I ripped it up in her face. Mm. I fired the lawyer who recommended the plea agreement. And I fought the case three years in the court to get eight and a half years instead. And I had a six month sentence right in my hand. And when I had eight and a half years and known I could have had six months, I pulled my car in one of those garages, wrote a 17 page letter to Ginger and the kids. And I tried to kill myself. I wanted to die. Absolutely wanted to die. So I look at you and think of you as a pretty joyful guy. I mean, clearly, even the first time you pop up on a screen today and we chat, uh, there's just joy exuding from you. So, I mean, when you think about where you were, wherever you want to use the term mental health to fit into that category, what what's your what is your life like today, sympathy-wise, thinking suicidal thoughts back then? How do you use that and the joy you now have to really minister to people in a way that maybe you wouldn't have been able to prior to and i'm talking beyond the stage not in front of masses but more one-on-one that you do so well talk about what that ministry would look like today and how you can really encourage people well with that suicide attempt it really hit the newspapers and the media during that time and two guys reached out to me a guy named ian howells reached out to me a month after i attempted suicide and a guy named chuck colson that i mentioned mentioned earlier and those two guys poured into me and discipled me and i became a christian uh, during that during that time during about a 10 month time with them. And Chuck Colson especially helped me break down that science block that I mentioned earlier that I had, you know, that eight years of college of being a scientist where, where, where I thought I couldn't be a Christian with being a scientist. And he shared with me some of the best scientists in the world. Even Albert Einstein uh, said only God could create the universe and only God could create man. Mm. And they never shared that at the university. And Sir Isaac Newton wrote as much about Jesus as he did about science. They never shared any of that at the university and multiple other scientists, Francis Collins of the discovery of the human genome, Don Byerly, a university of Minnesota, a, a PhD biologist tried to prove to all his friends that God did not exist. And the more he studied it, it proved to him God does exist. And Jesus is the son of God. And he wrote the book surprised by faith, mm. unbelievable book that that was life changing for me uh, during that time. So I became a Christian the month after I turned uh, 41. I was my third month in prison and I became a Christian during that journey. And Chuck Colson kept discipling me during that time when I was in prison so to help me grow in my faith. And I tell you, I started in prison. I'm $20 a month for eight years mm-hmm. after two to three million a year for eight years. Now I'm $20 a month. And Jeff, those became the most productive years 
Because like Chuck said, where in the world is a better place to disciple and share with people in prison with people that are helpless and hopeless and help them get their GEDs, learn how to, some of the Spanish ones, learn how to read and write. Some of them I discipled through Bible study and introduced them to God and introduced them to Jesus. And they became, I couldn't wait to get up. I, it probably, Jeff, probably the best way to explain it is I became a free man in prison. Mm. And I was in prison to that life of greed and pride. That was prison, the life of the greed addiction and the power addiction. Now I'm in prison and I've got Jesus filled that void. And I had eight years prison left after I became a Christian. And I tell you, those were productive years in my life. And I I learned how rewarding it was to serve others because I'd never done that before. It was all self-serving a selfish leader, but I learned how rewarding it was to be a servant leader. And that's been 25 years now. And I followed that path since, even since I got out a couple of decades ago. And every morning I wake up and I say, God, use me however you can use me. And I just love serving him. And I love reaching the lost and the unconvinced. You know, have a tremendous passion for it. Yeah. You know, when we use terms like upside down kingdom, your story is such a great example of an upside down kingdom where you have a 13,000 square foot house. You've got eight vehicles. You've got all this stuff probably on some level empty and probably wanting more. And then you talked about your purposes and just the joy you were experiencing impact and people for the kingdom of God in prison. Uh, You know, again, it's it's the gospel passage. If we can have the whole world lose our soul. Yeah, only God can fill that void. I learned it firsthand at age 40. Only Jesus can fill that void in our heart. I could have got to the level of Bill Gates, and I believe I would have said, what's next, what's next? Yeah. What do people? Jesus filled that void Yeah. that would have never had peace and contentment Amen. and joy. What do people say to you when they hear Chuck Colson discipled you? That's got to blow people. Yeah, I went to an event on May 14th at the Wilberforce Conference, and it was his 10 years passing because he passed in 2012 on April 21st. And the Wilberforce Conference this year in Florida, 1,400 attendees, uh, this was his 10 year of him passing into heaven. And they asked me to come and share because the impact of Chuck Colson had on my life 25 years ago starting. And so I was able to really honor him and I mean, what a what a remarkable I mean, he was like a father to me and what a what a remarkable man he was. And I miss him dearly. And I know I'll see him in heaven, but he had a tremendous impact. He was intentional and he poured into me. And I tell you, I've been having Timothy's in prison and I call him Timothy's Paul Timothy relationships where you pour into others. I got five Timothy's now uh, still today. Two of them out of the five are in prison. Mm. And I can't think I mean, even someday. When I'm no longer working, I disciple until I go to heaven. You know, what's interesting about this. I, I, I haven't thought about this in talking to you before, but each of my kids have been homeschooled. My youngest son, who's going to be a sophomore, will go to a local Christian school. But all four of my kids have read, I know for sure, this book, Born Again. Yeah. So Chuck Colson has discipled my kids on some level, much oh, smaller yeah. level. So. He's affected me. I'm, con- I'm, I'm convinced he's impacted millions. Yeah. I'm I'm convinced. Amen. He had Breakpoint Radio too, which had a couple million listeners. So I mean, he 
He's impacted millions around the world. Well, and, I happen to be one of them. And that conference you went to, I mean, my, my friend who you you know and you met through the gathering, Bill Brown would have been down there and John Stone Street, obviously, and maybe Eric Metaxas. I mean, I know a lot about what yeah. they're doing. John Stone Street's the one that interviewed me on, for that session. Okay. He's the one that facilitated that session about, about me sharing about Chuck. Yeah, that's so cool. Well, let's 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 go a little light here. Let's go to what I like to call the rapid five. So I got five questions. I'm going to shoot your way. They're kind of quick, heavy hitting, light on some level, but just give me the first thing that comes to your mind. Mark, what is your favorite childhood snack or cereal? Uh, I tell you, I love Rice Krispies. Oh, I love snap, Rice Krispies. Crackle pop. Do you like them as a cereal, or do you like the Rice Krispie treats better? I like them both. <laughs> Any and all, right? What is your favorite book you most like to gift to other people? Probably the favorite book that I like, especially the last few years, came out in 2017, Life in the Presence of God by Ken Boa. Mm, okay. It really helps one, I believe, kind of integrate faith in their life on a more Colossians 3.23, whatever you do, do with all your heart, like you're working for the Lord and not for man. It helps you live that out. Oh, wow. Life in the Presence of God by Ken Boa. I'm going to have to look that up. I'm familiar with Ken Boa, but I was, did not know about that book. So let me ask you this. Here's a fun question. I think you'll have a great answer to this. So your Mount Rushmore of lunches, if you could have three people living Four, let's say four people, four people living that you get to go to lunch with. Where are you dining at and who are you going to lunch with? Well, I tell you what, I'd love to have Chuck Colson back at 10 years. I mean, I miss sure. him, uh, miss him, uh, miss him greatly. Uh, one would be Don Byerly, B-I-E-R-L-E, the one who wrote the book Life in the Presence of God, a Ph.D. biologist that I think anybody reads that book. I don't know. Like when I finished that book, I thought, how can you be a PhD scientist and not believe in God? Mm. Uh, Surprised by Faith is the name of his book, Surprised by Faith by Don Byerly. So it'd be him. He's still living, too, okay. uh, by the way. Chuck Colson, um, Don Byerly, Ken Boa, John Piper. Oh, wow. Man, there's going to be some... Those four and P.F. Changs would be the restaurant. <laughs> I like that. What about Payway? You can go to the cheaper version, Payway, and get your P.F. Chang's at a little bit of a lesser cost. So that's cool, man. You'd be so the theologically fat after that lunch. Forget what you're getting food at P.F. Chang's. You're theologically fat. So, okay, let's put on your grandfather hat for a minute. So let's say you're with your family and you're traveling from point A to point B. Let's say you're going from Charlotte back to northern Kentucky slash southern Ohio area. And you're, you know where you're planning on getting off. But uh, there's either a bathroom break needed or a little bit of traffic. You got to get off 15 minutes early. And you've traveled enough. So one of these places that some people aren't familiar with, you've probably been there regardless. So your options at this exit are McDonald's, Chick-fil-A, or In-N-Out Burger. Where is Team Whitaker going? It'd be Chick-fil-A for sure. Okay. Chick-fil-A. No hesitation there. No hesitation. And what are you getting to eat? Chick-fil-A would be a spicy chicken uh, chicken sandwich with French fries and large Diet Coke. I work for Coca-Cola Consolidated, yeah, well, there you go. so it'd have a large Diet Coke. So much for the iced tea or the lemonade Chick-fil-A. We don't get it. You get the Coke. <laughs> Makes sense. So, um, And then last but not least, what is your like all-time favorite dad joke? Or give me a comedy bit that you really like. Hmm, all-time favorite dad's joke. Or a comedy that I really or a like. comedy bit. Somebody's joke routine that you think is really good. Well, I don't know if I could answer. I don't know if I could answer that. I don't know who that would be. 
Well, I you, don't know who that would be. You got a couple of choices of. Well, uh, you know what I'm gonna have to do. We're gonna have to meet before you ever move down to full full time to Charlotte <laughs> and go to the Funny Bone there at uh, what's the one up in northern Cincinnati at uh, what's that area called? You know the area I'm talking about up towards uh, Westchester. In the Westchester yeah. area, they got that funny bone there. We'll have to meet and go hang out some night and check out a comedian that's coming over that neck of the woods. Have you ever heard of Bob Goff? I mean, I've watched oh, him. Man, yeah, I've watched him on YouTube. He's ridiculously he's, funny. To me, I find him I mean, an amazing man with amazing messages, and I love his messages. But he's he's also got some – he's he, also pretty funny sometimes. He could be a comedian, yeah. he's. You talk about somebody who's living with a John 10-10 mentality about – uh, living a full and abundant life. It is uh, Bob Goff, to say the least. Yes, I'd say so, too. I don't know him personally, but I've definitely seen him at events and oh, yeah. seen him on YouTube and read his book and just a wonderful, wonderful man. But he's got some humor to it. I could see him enjoying you more than you'd even enjoy him. That's pretty cool. Let me ask you this. At this point in your life, you're, how old do you say you are right now? 60? 65. Just turned 65, 65. last month. So if, if I think about my friend James Brown, and he talks about treating life as – football you got you know your first quarter second quarter third quarter fourth quarter you're 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 heading in the fourth quarter what are you becoming what would what would you say maybe what would ginger say mark is becoming what with a well, spiritual I lens feel a sense of urgency and that's why i enjoy working the last few years at co-consolidated co-consolidated is different than coke atlanta where the bottling and can side Different company, different CEO, different leadership. It's not a division of. It's a separate company. We're on the NASDAQ. They're on the New York Stock Exchange. And our purpose statement at Co-Consolidated is our only purpose is to honor God and all we do by serving others, pursuing excellence, and growing profitably. And, I, and we have chaplain in every plant, 102 plant sites, uh, over 100 pr uh, prayer groups, Bible studies. I mean, it's a, it's a ministry that's in the beverage industry. And I tell you, I... I, I feel a, such a sense of certainty, the 16,000 employees that we have, and we have what's called T-Factor, where we actually equip other company CEOs to kind of integrate faith in their companies like what we're doing. And it's called T-Factor. We do that quarterly with 250 CEOs and senior leaders every quarter we do and to equip them. And I feel such a sense of urgency to equip these leaders. Mm. I feel such a sense of urgency to, to disciple myself. The, the lost and unconvinced. I still speak at lots of prayer breakfasts, a couple dozen of them just this year wow, alone. That's great. Uh, uh, between now and what's scheduled. And I just feel a sense of urgency to reach the mark who I was mm. when I was in my 20s and 30s, This that they're caught up in the world. They have a void in their heart the size of Grand Canyon. They don't know Jesus yet. They're not going to church. So I believe the business world is where they're going to get to know. Amen get to know God because they're not in church yet. So I, you know, I see the, I see the workplace is such a great place for, for ministry because we're reaching people that aren't in church yet. But I do feel in my sixties, my dad died at 90. He retired at 83 and he was working long hours, even at, at 83, my mom's 89. So, I mean, but that's still no guarantee. I've got 30 more years. There's no guarantee in that. Sure. Yeah, I mean, it could be tomorrow. But whatever time I have left, one week or 25 years, like my dad was, whatever time's left, I do want to serve God as much as I can. I want to be his ambassador here on earth till I join him in heaven. And a lot of that, I, I want him to speak through me through actions and words of reaching the lost and unconvinced and, and to help believers grow in their faith to become disciple makers. Amen. Well, I think you and I both are staking our claim in that 
marketplace, business, professional world to really be about Christ's share of the gospel. I love that Billy Graham, somewhere prior to his death, made a comment that he thought the next great movement act wave of God was going to be in the marketplace. So you and I clearly both uh, would support that and want to be in a place and space where that would happen. Let me ask you this final question. When you look at what's remaining in your life, I like where you talked about, you know, 25 or so years. For you and Ginger beyond family life, you together, you obviously have a dear relationship. When you look at each other, you look at whether it's travel, hobbies, fun, the gospel, what's left to behold of for you and Ginger beyond family? We just hit 43 years married last, and it's a miracle of God. Praise God. The incarcerated, it's a 99% divorce rate. For the incarcerated. We're married 43 years. So it showed God doesn't care about statistics. It's a miracle. And both of us look back and say, thank God I didn't sign that six-month plea agreement. I would have never listened to Ian Howes or Chuck Colson with a six-month sentence. I needed to be broken. So thank God for the longer eight-and-a-half-year sentence we do. Even though then we didn't feel that way, we thank God today. Needed to be broken. And I tell you, we love, we love both of us have this desire to reach the lost and unconvinced. She speaks a lot of prayer breakfasts with me. She's involved a lot of Q&A at marriage events because people say if that marriage can survive three years undercover, eight years of prison, the problems they have they is not as large as what they thought they had after they come to us to share. So we love sharing at marriage events. We love doing those together. But we also love spending time together. Uh, Yellowstone's probably our favorite spot. About ready to go to our fourth time in September, Yellowstone National Park. And we'll hike from uh, sun up to, to sundown and just see the, the wonders that God, only God could create. I mean, when you look at Yellowstone, we think, boy, there's no Big Bang Theory that created that. Amen. Only God could create all that wildlife and mountains and beauty and Teton Mountains and lakes. And I mean, something only God could do. And we love that and love doing that together. And, we, and, and we'll continue that for the rest of, as long as we can, health-wise, um, we do that. So we love sharing together. We love sharing our faith uh, with others. And, and both of us have a similar passion. We want to serve God until we join him in heaven. Well, you are speaking my love language. In about a week and a half, me and my youngest son and two buddies of mine and their two sons will be at Yellowstone, assuming the weather stays good because obviously it was closed for a little bit here recently so you just spoke my love language so after i get back we'll talk about it and we'll meet at a comedy club and go get some our laugh on hopefully up in cincinnati and uh mark hey this has been a total treat getting reconnected i wish it was not this length of time nine and a half years later but it's you've always been an encouragement to me and we text some and keep tabs that way and uh, what a blessing you are yeah you too thanks for having me and uh, thanks for having the opportunity to share here today MarkWhitaker.com is the best place for people to find you, right? It is. Much blessings. Have a great day, everybody. Thank you for joining us on the Pinkleton Pull Aside podcast. You can reach Jeff at GatheringMiamiValley.org or find us on Facebook at The Gathering of the Miami Valley. Join us again next week for another honest and rich conversation. The Rise FM Podcast Network.